Look, we are surrounded by some great spiritual leaders, amen? The three most uh, influential men in my life are all in this room tonight. Uh, my father, who's sitting right there in the purple shirt, hey dad. Clap, clap your hands for my dad, he's awesome. Pastor Mike Heyman, my spiritual father, who's led me for, uh, since I was 17 years old, and Pastor Johnny, who was my college pastor, uh, who, that was a long time ago. We won't, we won't say how many years ago, because I don't want to reveal your age, because you're like a lot older than me. Um, but I'm just thankful to, for the spiritual leaders in this house. My name is uh, Terry Olivier. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and I get the great privilege to dive into the Word with you tonight. Uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you are ready to get in the Word tonight? I have I've been so excited for this moment because God has been uh, stirring up this uh, specific message in my heart. And, and honestly, I've been thinking about this message for about a year, thinking, God, where is it that you want me to share it, looking for the opportunity, thinking about what's the right environment. And I feel like God finally released it tonight, and so I'm excited to share it with you. And so uh, I want you to take notes, because we're gonna, we're gonna dive into the scriptures, and some of the scriptures we're gonna look at are kind of tough. Everybody say tough. They're kind of tough. There's some of the scriptures, there's, there's a tons of scriptures that are just, they're so encouraging. And then sometimes there's some scriptures that are kind of like sandpaper. They kind of rub you a little harsh. And so I wanna dive into that. Um, and I've titled this message, and now let me just tell you about the title. The title is basically the thing I want you to remember about tonight's sermon. So if you don't remember anything about tonight's sermon other than the title, that's okay. And so if you stop paying attention to me, after I reveal the title, that's okay as well, as long as you got the title. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write down this title. It's where you look, you lean. Where you look, you lean. Uh, I learned this uh, valuable lesson uh, when I was 16 years old. Uh, I had just gotten my driver's license. I was a football player at East Ascension High School Go Spartans in the house. I was really good at sitting on the bench. And um, I just gotten my driver's license. And so one night after the game, it was a Friday night, I asked my dad if I could borrow his truck. And I was fresh off of my permit. Uh, I had just gotten my letterman's jacket. I had my friends. I said, look, dad, there is gonna be this like hype party in Prairieville. That's where all the hype parties happen. Uh, can I go north from Gonzales to Prairieville, the metropolis of Prairieville? And, uh, and he said, yes, son, you can go, but you gotta be careful. You're not used to driving at night. Keep your eyes on the road. And I was like, oh, dad, I got this, I got this. And so uh, me and my friends, we were looking for this party. And uh, this would have been somewhere around 1999-ish, I guess. Uh, and there were, uh, back in the day, you didn't have GPS on your phones. You had to do this thing where you like followed directions. It's this weird concept that's kind of foreign in today's society. But we were looking for this party. And we was like, I mean, it's like two minutes from here. I was looking for this party. And it was, it, apparently this party was so happening, we couldn't find it. And uh, we were driving down the road. And I, I thought, okay. If I just find uh, the house with the most cars, it's probably gonna be the one with the party. And so as I'm driving down the road, I'm, I'm driving like this and, I'll, I'll, and I'm leaning like this and I'm looking for the, the party. But what I didn't realize is that as I was looking, I was leaning and slowly that truck 
started going a little bit off the road. And the next thing I remember, I just heard, bow! And the windshield was shattered. The side view mirror was gone. Uh, and so I did what any responsible 16-year-old would do. I drove away as fast as I could. <laughs> and then I called my dad and I said, Dad, I need you to come help me. I, don't, I hit something or someone. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. And so he said, stay right there, son. So he came out, assessed the damage. He said, I'm going to go try to find whatever you hit or whoever you hit. And he came back and he said, oh, don't worry. I did figure it out. It was a mailbox. Uh, But the mailbox, it wasn't like a normal mailbox. It was a mailbox completely made of brick. And the mailbox was fine. The truck was not. And I learned a very valuable lesson that day. Where you look, you lean. That if you put your eyes in a certain direction, eventually your life will move into that direction. Now, this is not a new concept. The Bible has been preaching this concept from the very beginning. Uh, If you study the scriptures, you can find these things that are called biblical patterns, where you'll see the same sentences or the same nuances throughout scripture. And there's a biblical pattern, and it started all the way in the Garden of Eden. And it says, the two words you'll see, and you could just Google this if you want, and you'll see it. The two words are saw and took. Saw and took. Let me read a few of these scriptures so you see what I'm talking about. Genesis chapter three, verse six says this. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her, to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You see, she saw the fruit, then she took it. And the word saw here does not imply a quick glance. The word saw implies that she focused on it, that she actually looked at it many, many times. Genesis chapter 30, verse 9, it says, Leah saw that she had stopped having children, so she took her slave Zilpah and gave her to her gave her to Jacob as a wife. Again, here Leah was concentrating and looking. She was seeing something that it eventually led her life to taking something she shouldn't have done. Acts chapter 28, it even uh, carries over into the New Testament. It says, now the believers from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the forum of uh, Apius and the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and he took courage. There is a biblical pattern. There are dozens and dozens of scriptures that have this exact same pattern. For instance, when David saw Bathsheba, he took her to be with her. There's dozens of scriptures that follow the same pattern, that it all starts with where you're looking. If you are looking in a certain direction, regardless of where you intend to go, where you are looking will determine where you are going. Where you look, you lean. You know, scientists say that uh, when you look at something or someone attractive, your pupils dilate. And when you look at something unattractive, your pupils contract. So if there's any single people out there and you're ever wondering how attractive you are to the opposite sex, just look them right in the eye. 
You know, after 10 years of marriage, my wife's eyes still dilate massively when I walk into the room. They're also rolling a lot at me, but as they're rolling, they're dilating. I did notice over the last few years, they started to contract a little bit. I'm sorry, baby. But it's this idea that your, eye, your, your pupils are like a window shade. Like, it's like your brain says, I want to see this. So it opens up your pupils and says, I don't want to see this, so I will close them down. I remember being in college under uh, Pastor Johnny's leadership, and uh, I met my wife, Amanda, uh, at our college service. And over time, uh, I noticed something funny would start to happen. We would start to catch eyes. I don't know know if you've ever had this happen. I would be in any environment. It didn't matter if it was an outreach, whether it was a service. Uh, I'd even be on stage. And I would somehow, my eyes would always find their way to Amanda. And her eyes were always finding their way to me. In fact, I remember right before we officially started dating, we were at a tailgating outreach uh, at LSU. And she, she kept looking at me. I mean, you can't blame her. Um, I was... <laughs> She kept looking at me, and it, within about a five-minute period, we had locked, do you remember this? We locked eyes like three different times, and I knew she was the one because she's the only girl that ever looked at me like that before, and I knew she was the one. Is this this idea that your eyes, when you love something, when you're attracted to something, it's going to affect where you're looking, and where you're looking is where you're leaning. I have a question for you. What are you looking at? What are you focusing on? You know, we have these big giant screens up here. If we were to just take like the last 30 days of your eyelids and put them up on this screen, if we were to roll the beautiful bean footage that everything that you have been looking at over the last 30 days, some of you are like, you wouldn't want that, trust me. If we were to see all the things you've been seeing, what have you been looking at? What is your eyes focusing on? And it's more than just what you're seeing with your natural eye, but with the eye of your mind. If we were to put your thoughts, would it be Jesus? Would it be pain? Would it be your problems? Would it be shame? Would it be your mistakes? Would it be all the worries of the day? What would it be if we were to put that on the screens? You know, Jesus had a lot to say about where we look. And I want everyone to turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter nine, this is one of, I'm gonna get this, this uh, set of scriptures comes with a fair warning. They're tough. In fact, the first time and the second time and the third time and about the 10th time that I read over these verses, I was frustrated by them because they seemed like so harsh. It seemed like Jesus was being so dogmatic and insensitive. But as I begin to study these scriptures, I begin to see that the exact opposite was true. That he was incredibly sensitive. That he was looking at these men and he was realizing something about their lives. I want you to turn with me to Luke 9 and start in verse 62. This is what Jesus said. Verse 62, he says, but Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow, and here it is, looks back, is fit for the kingdom 
of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus is talking in an analogy here. In the ancient world, the way that plows worked where there were two usually big giant oxen, and these oxen, in between them, there was a big metal claw. And as these oxen moved along the ground, what they would do is that claw would drag up that dirt. They would start to uh, make it uh, real loose so that way the, the, the planter could come behind and, and throw the seed onto the ground and they could harvest. And this was an incredibly difficult job uh, for the person who was working the plow because they had to, at the same time with one hand, navigate the plow, and with the other hand, they had to goad or steer the animals because they needed to go in a perfectly straight line. And so they had to concentrate every second of the way. If they got their eyes off of what they were doing for even one second, it could cost the farmer hundreds and hundreds of dollars. It's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been to Disney World with small kids. It's about the same thing, trying to herd kids at Disney. You've got two objectives. One, get to the next attraction. And then two, don't let my children die. You, it takes the most insane amount of focus. And Jesus says, following me is a lot like that. It takes all of your concentration it takes all of your focus. You cannot be the kind of person who says they'll follow me, but then they look everywhere else. You know, he says, they're, if, if someone is doing this, it means that they're not fit for the kingdom. Don't get confused by the word fit. It doesn't mean that they're, they're not good enough or they don't make it. That word fit uh, in the Greek actually means useful. What Jesus is saying is, you're never ever going to accomplish the calling on your life. You will never be useful in God's kingdom if you're always looking somewhere else. If you're looking to the right or you're looking to the left. You see, where you look, you lean. And I wanna tell you about three guys. And so these three guys that we're gonna read about, these are the preceding verses to what I just read. The verse I just read was Jesus's response to them. But here were three guys who in their heart, they wanted to lean into Christ. They wanted their lives to lean in the direction of Jesus. But when Jesus saw them, he realized though they wanted to lean in one direction, they were looking in a different direction. It doesn't matter if you intend to lean this way. If you're looking this way, it doesn't matter. And so each of these guys were looking to different things, and I think these things speak to us. Go back up to verse 57, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It says this, as they were traveling on the road. Now I want you to highlight that verse. That part right there, as they were traveling on the road, I've highlighted it on the screen, because this is important, but I won't tell you why until later in the sermon. But it says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. 
So I want you to see this picture. Jesus is traveling along a road, and I'll tell you about that road later. But as he's traveling along the road, someone comes to him, and what do they say? They say, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I wanna be on your team. I want my life to line up with your life. I want all of the things that you want for me. And Jesus, in his supernatural way, looks to this man and he says to him, I don't think you realize what you're saying because what you're saying and the life you're living are two different things. You see, the, this Luke, Luke doesn't tell us this, but Matthew tells us something about this man. Matthew tells, tells us that this man was what was called a scribe. And in the ancient world, scribes had very high social status. Scribes were, uh, they were higher than the middle class. They made really great livings. They had very comfortable livings. And so Jesus sees this man and he sees his life and he says, I don't think you understand because where you wanna lean is with me, but where you're looking for is somewhere different. I want you to write the first thought down here is, Often we look for comfort. We look for comfort. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, looked at this man's life and he knew where this man was looking. He was looking for comfort. And the truth is, is we all are, aren't we? And the older I get, actually, I look for comfort uh, even more. Uh, I think this is especially true of men, even more than women. Uh, high heels are the proof of that. Uh, that will never, ever be a thing in men's culture because we just like comfort too much. But have you ever been, men, have you ever been furniture shopping with your wife? There are two different sets of standards when it comes to shopping for furniture. Me and my wife, we went uh, furniture shopping a few years ago, and she cared about how it looked, the shape of it, uh, the size of it, the, the fabric of it. I cared about one thing. How fast can I fall asleep in it? That was the top priority. Um, we've been married 10 years. I still don't have a lazy boy in my home. She won't let me buy one because they're kind of big and bulky and ugly, but boy, they are amazing. But I, look, I love comfort. Uh, this year I turned 35 and I did something I, I never thought that I would do. I bought slippers. <laughs> do we have any slipper people in the house? Where are my slipper people? I love slipper people. Let me tell you about these slippers. They ugly. They are absolutely hideous. But whenever I come home at the end of the day, I'm ready to put on my slippers. And my wife will roll her eyes at me and she's like, you can never wear those anywhere but this house. And I've broken that rule a few times at Walmart. But I love my slippers. These slippers are awesome. I look forward to taking off my comfortable sneakers and putting on my comfortable slippers at the end of the day. We all want comfort, right? We all seek comfort. You go into a party, you look for the comfortable seat, right? You look for the best seat. Every single person in here except for me is sitting down. See, even at church, we know what's up. If we had no seats in here, there wouldn't probably be quite as many people, would there? If you had to stand up the entire time, sermons would have to go a little bit shorter, if you know what I'm talking about. We all want comfort, but here's what Jesus is telling this man, and here's what Jesus is telling us. Following him 
does not always mean that you're comfortable. Following Jesus, in fact, is the opposite most of the time. When Jesus says, follow me, what he means is embrace a life of, a life of discomfort. Jesus will call you to people you have nothing in common with. Jesus will send you to a place that you don't want to go. He may call you to a ministry that has nothing to do with your natural, gifts, your natural gift sets at all. He may ask you to do something in ministry. He may ask you to do something at your job. He may ask you to do something at church or in your family that is just crazy uncomfortable. Jesus looked at this man and he said, look, if you want to lean into me, you can't look to comfort. Jesus meets another man. Look at the next verse. It says in verse 59, it says, then he said to another, follow me. The man replies, Lord, he said, first, let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Now this one's even tougher than the first one. This is one of those scriptures that theologians and Bible scholars for centuries have tried to understand. Uh, people have read this and they thought, wow, kind of harsh, Jesus. I wanna paint this picture for you because without a little, with, a, with a little context, it makes a little bit more sense as to what's happening here. First of all, when Jesus is talking to this man, this guy's dad is probably not dead. In the ancient world, they buried you the same day that you died. It wasn't like in the modern world where it, you know, there's a funeral two or three days later and a wake and all of that. When you died in the ancient world, they buried you the same day. So the odds of this man uh, talking to Jesus right after his father died would be very small. I don't want you to get the picture that there was like a funeral going by and Jesus stopped the funeral. <laughs> was like, hey, I want you to leave your dad there and I want you to come follow me. And then he was like, okay, I totally will. I'm totally down, Jesus. But can I actually put him in the ground first? And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> Probably not the case. More likely what it was, was this uh, man was living with his father and his father was growing old in age. And maybe he was sick or maybe he was just uh, coming to an age where the son expected his father to pass. But upon the death of his father, what would happen is that Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, upon the death of his father, this young man would then receive an inheritance from his dad. He would receive land and he would then become the tribal leader of his family. And so in the ancient world, when your parents died, it meant great prosperity and great blessing for you. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Some of y'all thinking, can't wait till my parents die. <laughs> I'm just kidding, though. No. That's terrible. That was an awful joke. I'll take it back. <laughs> Strike that from the tapes. All right. I want you to get this picture because here this man says to him, he says, yes. I will follow you, but first, something else has to happen. See, the first guy was looking to comfort, but the second guy was looking for contingencies. He was looking for contingencies. Do you know what a contingency is? A contingency is, I'll do this if 
you do this. I'll follow you, Jesus, if you let me go and get my inheritance first. My, I have, all right, I have three daughters. Uh, their ages are, are seven, six, and three. And this is, there's, a, there's a lot of contingencies that happen in my house. There's a lot of obedience if something happens. I'll give you an example. So pretty much every night when we go to bed, my daughters become the queen of contingencies. They say, yeah, dad, we'll get ready for bed if you give us five more minutes. Yeah, dad, we'll do that if you scratch my back first. If you let me finish coloring this sheet, if you let me do this, they become the queen of contingencies. They tell me all the time, I will listen to you if you do this or if you let me do this first. If you have small children, then you understand the most infuriating question in all the world is the question, why? (laughs) Baby, I need you to pick up those toys, but why? Because we have people coming over, but why? Because it's their birthday and we're celebrating their birthday, but why? You know what I'm talking about. You, they say, you know what, I will f- obey you if you can explain to me why I should obey you. And the truth is, is we take this same exact approach with Jesus, don't we? We say, Jesus, I am willing to do anything you tell me to do, but you just gotta tell me why. Or Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you do blank for me. And Jesus tells this man, look, let me tell you something. It doesn't work like that in the kingdom. There are no contingency plans. There are no, okay, I'll do this if. Faith does not say, Jesus, I'll follow you if. You know what faith says? I'll follow you even if. You know, it's funny because this man wanted Jesus to be his savior, but not his Lord. And you can't separate the two. You know, many of you know our beloved pastor, Pastor Mike Heyman. If I were to go to Pastor Mike and I were to say, I like Mike, but I don't really like Heyman. I'm totally into you, Mike. It's my boy. I hate Heyman. I need you to be Mike, but not Heyman. I want to hang out with Mike, but Haman's not invited. (laughs) How many of you know that would put him in a little bit of a pickle, wouldn't it? Because he can't separate that, can he? He is Mike Haman, the bishop of biceps, the tower of power, right? You can't separate those two things. And for us to say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. I want you to rescue me from my sin, from my heartache, from my mistakes. And then to say, but I don't invite you in as Lord is absolutely preposterous. You think about the size of the universe. I I, I saw this the other day. You know, our galaxy is only about one of estimated currently 500 million galaxies. That's a whole lot of galaxies. And each of those galaxies contain hundreds of thousands of systems of stars. 
and we are just in one of those systems, are we really going to invite the creator of the universe into our life to be an assistant? I need a personal assistant, and Jesus, you really fit the bill. Seems like you could do a whole lot. I'll follow you, but I'm gonna need you to do some things. Are we really going to give commands to the one who can create all of this? It doesn't make any sense, does it? But look what Jesus said to him. He said, let the dead bury the dead. What he was saying is this, let the spiritually dead worry about the things of the physical world. What Jesus is saying to him and what Jesus is saying to us tonight is that if you put anything first in front of Jesus, it's like you're spiritually dead. It's like you're in a spiritual coma. You can't hear when you're dead, right? You can't see when you're dead. He's saying, look, if you put something before me, you'll never really get to hear or receive from me. And Jesus says, we can't have any contingencies. Where you look, you lean. Where you look, you lean. Let's take a look at the last guy. In Luke chapter nine, verse 61, the next guy comes along and says, another also said, I will follow you. Lord, but first, there's that word again. First, let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Another tough one. This guy says, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I want my life to lean in your direction. That's where I want my life to go. But first, I need to go say bye to my family. Now, I want you to understand the context here. Jesus is living in a society where family is everything. It wasn't an individualistic society like the one we live in. Family was everything, it was supreme. It was the most important part of who you are, was the tribe and the people that you were a part of. And what this man wasn't saying was, oh, I just need to run home and tell my parents that this rabbi like, invited me to go on this like, walking tour with him. Uh, I just need to tell him what's up. I'm not gonna be home by nine like I normally am. Uh, he's not saying I'm just gonna stop by and just say, hey, see y'all later. What he's saying is, is I wanna spend a little bit more time with them before I'm willing to leave them completely. I like the invitation, I like where you're taking me, but in my heart, I also wanna do something else. In my heart, I also wanna spend a little bit more time with them. The third thing that I want you to write down is this, is that we look to competing passions. We look to competing passions. See, this man had two desires in his heart. And both of these desires were in conflict with one another. Once, one part of him said, I wanna give everything up for Jesus. I wanna follow him. I wanna, I wanna run after him. I want, I want the life that God has for me. That's what I want. There was, there was a side of him that said that, but then there was another side that said, but I wanna spend more time 
at home. I want to be a part of this community. I want to do these things. There was these competing passions. Have you ever noticed the competing passions in your own life? We know we've had this big VBS thing going on, and so we were having a lot of late nights. We were doing all these rehearsals, and so there were plenty of nights that I was getting back close to 9 and 10 o'clock, and I noticed there were these competing passions in my heart when I got home. There was one passion that said, I'm hungry and I need to eat everything in this fridge. The other passion was, I'm tired and I need to go straight to sleep. Have you ever been in this situation where you are extremely hungry and extremely tired? And you can't do both at the same time, or at least I haven't tried. There's these two passions inside of you, this war that's going on. It's pulling you into multiple directions. You ever heard of that game, uh, Would You Rather? Y'all ever played this game, Would You Rather? Uh, On the way here, as a matter of fact, on the way here, my oldest daughter said, "Uh, Dad, let's play Would You Rather. She said, Dad, would you rather not have air conditioning or not have electricity? (laughs) You see, that's the brilliance of the game, isn't it? Because it attacks two competing passions. There is a passion inside of me for cold air. There's also a passion inside of me for electricity in general. And we had to choose. Now, my middle child, she didn't really understand the game very well. She said, she said Dad, would you rather draw or be killed? <laughs> so it's a tough one, baby. I'm going with draw on this one. I want to be an artist instead of a dead man. She didn't really understand the whole competing passions thing. But we play these games because we have these competing passions in our heart. Every single one of us, and here's the, here's the crazy truth, is most of the time those competing passions, they're not even sin. They're not even bad things. There was nothing sinful about this man wanting to be with his family. There was nothing sinful about that. But it was something in his heart that he had propped up in the place of God. You see, Jesus, he has to be Lord of all or he won't be Lord at all. He wants to be the Lord over all of your life. He, he, he's not a renter. He's not gonna rent different rooms in your life. He's a buyer. He wants to come in and he wants to own your life. He wants to take you. He wants to lead you because I guarantee you where he's taking you and where he's leading you, it's not always comfortable, but it's always rewarding. It's always the best for you. Do you remember at the beginning of the sermon, we, we mentioned the fact that it said that Jesus was traveling down the road. See, Luke put this detail in here on purpose. You see, Jesus wasn't just traveling down any road. He was traveling on the road that led to Jerusalem. He was on his way to be crucified. He was on his way to give his life for the very men who were trying to decide whether or not to follow him. These men couldn't have even realized it in the moment what Jesus was doing, but Jesus was on a path. And can I tell you, there wasn't comfort on his path. There were no contingencies. 
He didn't go before the Father and said, I'll only do this whole dying on the cross thing as long as you do some things for me. He didn't let the competing passions in his life dictate him. Do you remember in the garden, he, he cried before the Father. He said, if there is another way, let there be. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Do you, do you see that? See, you, you, know, you wanna know what the competing passion in his heart was? To not die? He didn't wanna die. He didn't want to have to endure the horrific crucifixion that was coming. He did not want to bear the sin of the world. But most of all, you know what he didn't want? He did not want to feel the wrath of the Father that was not due him. He did not want to feel a disconnect between him and the Father. That was the real pain of the cross. Jesus cried out on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, on the cross, there was a disconnect between him and the Father that has never been felt before in all eternity and will never be felt again. There was a disruption in the Holy Trinity. And Jesus knows all of this is coming up and he is on his way to this very moment in history and he runs into these three men who say, I wanna lean into you. I want, to, I want my life to go in the direction your life is going. And he's saying, do you? Because where you're looking is different. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible is found in Hebrews 12. And it's the best scripture when you're talking about looking and you're talking about your perspective. It says in Hebrews 12, verse one and two, it says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Check this out. Who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. You see, the author of Hebrews tells us something important. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. But then he tells us something. He tells us what to do, but then he tells us why. You see, first he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. But the next thing he says is who for the joy before him endured the cross. Let me tell you something. When Jesus was on that road that day in Luke chapter nine, his eyes were not on the cross. They were past the cross. You see, it says he endured the cross. The scripture doesn't say he looked at the cross. It doesn't mean he focused on the cross. It says that the joy that lay before him is what he was focused on. You see, he wasn't looking at the cross. He wasn't looking at the shame that would come his way. He was looking past it at something the Bible says is his joy. Can I tell you what that joy is? It's you. It's you. That was the joy that laid before him. In eternity past, he had every joy. He is joy. He shared infinite joy 
and the Holy Trinity in heaven since eternity past. But you know what he didn't have after Genesis chapter three? He didn't have you. You see, these men, they wanted to lean into Jesus, but they were looking everywhere else. But you know where Jesus was looking the whole time? He was looking at them. And he was looking at you. You say, I don't wanna be uncomfortable. I want Jesus to do some things for me. I wanna have some contingencies in place. I have other passions in my life besides Jesus. And sometimes those passions go first. Jesus says, that can't be. Because you know what Jesus put first? He put you first. And the only proper response to that is to focus back on him. The Bible says to fix our eyes. Means to lock them in. You see, Eve in the garden, where did she look? She looked at the tree. It was delightful to look at. And as she looked, she leaned. And as Adam looked, Adam leaned. And you know what happened? Sin and destruction and death and every peril was brought into the earth. But Jesus looked. He looked at you, he looked at the joy, and he leaned into God's will for him with no contingencies, no comfort involved, and you know what happened? He reversed everything that we did in the garden that day. He reversed it all. He turned the whole ship around that day. My question for you is what are you looking at?